Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Uh, we are in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we're looking at verses 8 through 11 this morning. 8 through 11. So, uh, while you find your place, say we are in our series Align, a church aligned with God's will. And part of the reason for this series and the reason for me preaching this series is is for us to seek renewal and revival as a church. Um, and in order for us to do that, there has to be both uh, corporate and personal repentance. And so this morning, and, and no one has asked me to say anything, uh, this is on my own volition, but, but I do want to say that, that if there's anything that I have done, though unintentional, to cause any disunity and discord and strife, if I've done anything to hinder a relationship with you personally, I do want to, to publicly repent of that and tell you that I am sorry uh, for that. And I hope that we as a church can both repent personally and corporately and we can move forward in unity, uh, spreading the gospel in this community for the glory of Christ. Amen. And so as we begin this morning, I just wanted to say that as your pastor. Well, Revelation 2 is our text. We begin in verse 8. I'm going to read that. We'll pray. And then we'll dive into the message. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as the church, Lord. We thank you for the word that you have given us, the letters that you have written to the seven churches here and has been recorded in the book of Revelation for us to read and for us to meditate upon and for us to be encouraged by. And Lord, we ask that that would be the case this morning. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, imagine being a citizen of a recently conquered country. You, your family, and your friends have survived the battle, but, but the strategy of the nation that has conquered you is to, to remove you from your homeland and to resettle you in their land. Because you were young, because you come from a wealthy family, because you already have some learning, you were trained and, and indoctrinated with the cultural beliefs of that country before being put into the king's court to serve. You're appointed as a leader. It's kind of odd that this has happened, but, but life is going well for you. Though you have been conquered, though you have been removed from your land, you are now leading in your enemy's country. One day a rule is made that requires you to worship the king and, and no one else. 
Now, if you, if you didn't worship the king, if you didn't bow down and worship the king in front of everyone, you would be killed. And it's not that you would just be shot and things would end quickly. No, you would be taken and you would be thrown into a fiery furnace. What would you do? What would you do when that day came to worship the king publicly? Would you capitulate? Would you surrender your beliefs and your convictions and bow and worship to the king? Or would you stand firm and risk being thrown into the fiery furnace? If it hasn't clicked, this is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found in the book of, of Daniel. And it's not, a, it's not a hypothetical story. It's not fiction. It is reality. And, and what did they do? Did they capitulate? Did they surrender their beliefs? No. They didn't surrender their beliefs. They, they didn't bow in worship to the king. Instead, they, they stood firm. And because they did not capitulate, they were actually thrown into the fiery furnace. Now, if you know the story, you know that, that they were miraculously saved from that fiery furnace. And while they were saved from the fiery furnace, we aren't guaranteed that we will be miraculously saved from the fiery furnace or from, or from certain death at the hands of those who are persecuting us. Christians are killed every single day for their beliefs because they didn't capitulate, because they didn't surrender to their culture. While we may not be facing death for our beliefs in the United States, we are, we are certainly facing a threat I mean, it may, not, it may not feel like it because we certainly live in the, in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And, and we not only live in the buckle of the Bible Belt, but we live kind of removed from the city, the main city out here in the suburbs. But we live in a post-Christian world. A world that has a disdain for Christianity. A world that actually believes that Christianity is dangerous. A world that wants us to capitulate, a world that wants us to surrender our beliefs in the sexual revolution is one of the main battlefields. It poses a major threat to Christianity and to religious freedom. And because of the state and the direction of our country, many have and many will have their own Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment. A moment where you're going to have to decide whether you will capitulate to the cultural norms and, and ideals or you will stand firm in your Christian beliefs. Christians in every single generation have had to make that choice as to whether they will capitulate or not. And so how does the church, seeking to be aligned with God's will, handle persecution? How does it handle tribulation or distress? Well, when we turn to the Bible, we learn that that Jesus told us Christians will face persecution for their beliefs. In Mark chapter 13, verse 9, Jesus says this, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Christians in every single generation have faced persecution. They have faced tribulations. They have had to make a choice as to whether they will capitulate to the demands of the culture of those in power or if they will stand firm in their beliefs and be a witness to the gospel. And that includes those Christians in today's text. They are, they are facing persecution. They are facing tribulation. The church at Smyrna in Revelation 2 were, were being asked to capitulate to the culture. The church at Smyrna is the second church that Jesus addresses as we're walking through the seven letters. And Smyrna was this large and, and wealthy seaport. 
It was roughly 200,000 people lived in this city, and it was about 30 miles north of Ephesus, which was the church that we looked at last week. And, And the city is actually still there today. It's known by the name of Izmir. And those in Smyrna were facing persecution. Look at verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Those in the church were being persecuted for their beliefs, and their persecution was, was multifaceted. It was physical, it was mental, it was social, it was economic. It was painful time for this church. And tribulation is always painful, whether that tribulation lasts a day, a week, a month, or whether it lasts years. Tribulation is always painful. It eats away at us little by little. It chips away at at our joy. It takes the wind out of our perseverance. And the longer tribulation lasts, the worse things get. And not only are they facing tribulation, but but we're also told that, that the church is poor. Their poverty most likely is the result of their, of their tribulation. All of the, the power structures of that day opposed them. They had no real means of, of gaining income and caring for themselves. They were marginalized. And I imagine people would not hire them. People would not do business with them. People would not buy from them simply because they were Christians. Because they were followers of Jesus. The Romans didn't care for them. I mean, they they weren't going to do anything for these people to help them get out of of poverty. Social security didn't exist like it does today, especially for those who are your conquered enemies. And the Jews didn't care for them either. The Jews actually caused difficulty for the Christians, slandering them. Slander means that, that you speak about someone in such a way as to hinder or ruin their reputation. And as I was reading about the history of this, uh, this last week, I learned that, that the Romans had actually granted the Jews an exemption from the requirement to take part in, in their Roman idolatry. Everyone, who, everyone else was required to, to participate. If they didn't participate, things would be made difficult for them. But, but the Jews were granted this exemption. The Christians certainly didn't want to participate in, in, in the Roman idolatry and in their festivals and their celebrations. And, and as Christians, you know, we don't want to do that. We're, we're called to worship Jesus. We're called to worship Jesus alone. And, and as long as these Christians were, were underneath the umbrella of the Jews, they would not have to participate in these Roman festivals and, and worship these Roman gods. But But the Jews, which had become a a synagogue of Satan, they rejected Jesus as king. They were actually being controlled and directed by Satan. The Jews who were controlled and, and directed by Satan began to slander the Christians to the Romans. They did this to ruin their reputation, to to distance themselves from the Christians so that the Christians were no longer underneath their umbrella of protection. They no longer had the same exemptions that they did. And this put the church at Smyrna in a very difficult situation, one that resulted in physical and mental and social and economic adversity. Not only had all of this happened, but Jesus tells us in verse 9, "...do not fear what you are about to suffer." Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And so not only were they facing these difficulties, but but Jesus reveals that, that their difficulty is actually about to get worse. 
They were going to be thrown into prison where they were going to await a trial. And, and some would be, you know, sent off to the salt mines to work. Some of them would be deported. Some of them would be killed as they were used possibly in the, in the gladiatorial games that were taking place. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is why the prosperity gospel is, is a false gospel. Jesus is revealing to his own people that they are going to face death. He's not saying, if you just have enough faith, you're going to escape. If you just have enough faith, you are going to be blessed. He's not saying, you just need to pray more, or, or you need to give more, or you need to do more, and you will escape this. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying, because you call yourself a Christian, because you follow me, you have attached yourself to me. Satan is going to persecute you. You will face tribulation. And Satan is going to try to destroy the church. And he is trying to destroy the church. He's trying to destroy it because the church has the truth. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is why the prosperity gospel is false, why it is untenable, and why we should be very careful as to who we tune in to listen to. We also see that Satan is not worried about the Jews. Though they are religious, they reject Jesus as Savior. You see, Satan is not out to make every single person into this godless, immoral, irreligious people who do evil acts day in and day out. No, Satan is very happy for people to act in a religious way. He is very happy for people to do that as long as they reject Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. Everyone who follows and does Satan's work does not have to be a part of a satanic cult. They don't have to be atheists. The Jewish synagogue in Smyrna, the, the Latter-day Saints today, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the progressive liberal church, they're all religious. They all do very good things, but, but they all reject Jesus as their Lord and, and as, their, as their Savior. And Satan is not worried about them. In some instances, they're actually doing Satan's work for him. They're deceiving others so that they may not follow Jesus in the way that, that God's word calls us to follow Jesus. And sometimes they're actively and purposefully hindering the Christian church and the communities in which they live. This church that I went to in seminary, they, they, one guy left there and, and he went to go plant a church in Utah. And, and this was right in, in Mormon land. And the people there were super nice. But as soon as they found that they were coming to plant a Christian church, well, that nice facade that's on the outside began to work behind the scenes to hinder that church. And it took them forever to find an apartment to live in. It took them forever to find a place to, to host church. And they, and they are constantly coming against them over and over again with all of these crazy rules and regulations that they must follow in order to remain open. They're actively hindering them from doing gospel ministry in their city. But those who adhere to the true gospel, who believe in Jesus and seek to speak the truth about Jesus and align themselves with God's will, they will face tribulation. Satan doesn't fire his darts at those who are, who are his, but those who are a threat to him. The church, our church, East Ridge Baptist Church is a threat to Satan. 
The preaching of the gospel and God's word is a threat to Satan. Satan would love nothing more than to destroy and to silence our church, and he is actively seeking to do that. At this moment, Satan is throwing fiery darts at our church. He is seeking to destroy us by driving a wedge of disunity in our church so that we cannot be an effective witness for the gospel, so that we cannot be a church that is making disciple, making disciples. If Satan cannot hinder the preaching of the gospel, Satan can hinder things in many other ways, and he's actively seeking to do that now. Church, we have to be aware of Satan's methods. We have to know what he wants, and we cannot let him win. He is throwing fiery darts at us just like he threw fiery darts at the church in Smyrna. And because he was throwing fiery darts at them, the Christians in the church at Smyrna were facing immense pressure to capitulate to the culture, to give in, to denounce Jesus, to quit aligning themselves with God's will, which is found in God's word. And Jesus writes to them, not to, not to kick them when they're down, but, but to provide them with hope. And, and how does Jesus do that? How does Jesus provide them with hope? How does Jesus provide us with hope? How can we avoid capitulating to the culture when suffering is so great? First, we must realize that, that Jesus has not left us. He tells the church at the beginning of verse 9, I know your tribulations and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus tells them, I know your tribulation. I am not blindsided by your tribulation at all. He is completely aware of what is happening to them before it even happens. He tells them, Satan is going to do this. You will be thrown into prison for 10 days. You will experience tribute. It's not saying I saw that that happened or I'm seeing that that's happened now. This will happen. He knows our tribulations before we even face them. One commentator puts it this way. Jesus does not trivialize their suffering by telling them it really isn't that bad. He doesn't demean them by telling them that if they were stronger, it wouldn't bother them so much. And he doesn't cheapen their experience by offering unsympathetic advice. Rather, Jesus ennobles their suffering with the simple and comforting words, I know your tribulation. Jesus not only knows their tribulation, but Jesus has not left them, nor has he left us when we face tribulation. He is with us. He is empowering us, working through us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might stand firm for the gospel. And if the Spirit wasn't working in our lives, then, then we would not stand firm for the gospel. We would, we would run away. We would give in. We would cave. But because the Spirit works in us, because the Spirit empowers us, we stand firm. We stand firm for Christ. And so Jesus has not left us. The Spirit is with us. And not only is Jesus aware and, and there for us, but second, we must realize Jesus has a purpose in our persecution. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And so what is the purpose of tribulation, trials, persecution? Well, well we learn that, that the purpose of, of persecution is going to be 
for just a short period of time. It's going to, going to be defined by this 10 days. Jesus knows about it. He's not going to let it go on forever. He warns, warns the church that it's coming. He calls them to stand firm. And Jesus reveals in this passage that one of the purposes of persecution, of tribulation, is for the testing of Christians. God is using Satan and the persecution, the tribulations that he orchestrates to test and to prove his people's faithfulness. When I think about this, I'm reminded of Job. Job was a, a righteous man. He followed the Lord in, in everything that he did. He sought to align his life. He sought to align his, his will with the Lord. And, and if you remember Satan, he, he approaches the Lord in his heavenly throne room and he, and he talks to him about Job. And he says, you know, Job is, is just a righteous man. Job just follows you. Job just aligns himself with you because of all the blessings that you have given him. Let me take that from him and he will curse you. And God says, okay. He allows him to do it. He says, you can take from him. You can take everything from him, but you can't take his life. And so he takes his health. He takes his family. He takes his wealth. He takes everything away from him. He comes underneath this huge distress, underneath this huge tribulation in his life. And through it all, what happens? Job does not, Job does not curse the Lord. He doesn't curse God. He doesn't renounce the Lord. He had some questions, as I think we all would have some questions, of just all of a sudden all of our, all of our wealth and, and our family and our, and our health and everything was just taken away from us. I mean, certainly we would all have some questions if that took place, and, and Job had some questions. But despite everything that took place to Job, Job continued to worship the Lord. And while Job never learned why it all, all happened to him, the application of the difficulty and what the book teaches us is that tribulations and persecution build our faith. They build our trust in the Lord. God is the creator and he is the sustainer of all things. He has a plan that he is working out, a plan that we may not understand, but the Lord has a plan. And as we see the Lord working in our lives, sustaining us through the persecution so that we might continue to stand firm for him, our trust, our faith in his promise to provide us with eternal life by resurrecting us from the dead grows. And through suffering, our understanding and faith that God will complete the work that he has begun in us increases. We stand firm. When we stand firm in the Lord despite persecution, we end up glorifying God. And that's the purpose of our life. The purpose of our life is, is not to make ourselves comfortable. It's not to, to glorify ourselves. The, the purpose of our life is to glorify God. And when we stand firm in the Lord despite persecution, we glorify the Lord. We glorify the Lord because we are witnessing to the world that nothing else is better than Jesus, not even life itself. And when we stand firm in the Lord, we end up glorifying Him as the, as the watching world, as the world watches us witness to the Lord, to Christ's greatness above all things. And suffering also purifies the church. Because of their, their suffering, if you notice, this is, there's only two churches in, in these, these letters here that, that Jesus doesn't come and rebuke. And this is one of them. Suffering purifies the church. 
Because of their suffering, there was no, there was no opportunity, there was no time for, for disunity and, and dissension. They, they had to band together. They had to take care of one another. They had to encourage one another and build one another up in the faith. Worshiping idols were not an option either because those idols did not fulfill their promise, nor did, nor did the false teachers. False teachers do not provide you with true hope, peace, and joy. And when you're in the midst of, of suffering, when you're in the midst of, of persecution, you figure that out. You figure that the only one who provides that in the midst of all of that is Jesus. And suffering also purifies the church and those that, that, that are not believers, they don't, they don't stick around. When, when people are coming and they're saying, do you believe in Jesus? If you do, you're going to die. You're going to be hindered. You're not going to have a job. Those who are going to church, those who are a part of the church, who are connected to the church for some other reason, those people hightail it out of there. And they say, hey, nope, that's not me. It's not me. That's those guys over there, but that is not me. I'm I'm good to go. You don't need to kill me. You don't need to take my job away. You don't need to take my, my house away or anything like that. Suffering and persecution purifies the church. Additionally, tribulations and persecution, they, they develop our character. James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we face trials and, and tribulations and difficulties in our life, we, we grow in wisdom, we grow in understanding, we grow in knowledge and trust, we grow in righteousness. We become more and more aligned with God's will as we face difficulties, trials, tribulations, and persecution. Our suffering and persecution doesn't, doesn't catch God off guard. It doesn't blindside Him. Instead, He uses it for His glory and our good. Amen. Romans eight twenty eight reads this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And as you continue to read through verses 29 and, and 30, those who are His, those who are called by Him, they are assured that they will reach glorification. God is with us from the beginning all the way to the end. He is working together for our good. And what is our good? Where our good is not us having our best life now. It's not that we are always going to have personal happiness and, and fulfillment in life. It doesn't even mean that there's a silver lining behind everything that happens that is bad. Instead, our good refers to our justification, our sanctification, our glorification. It's what we have been, been talking about here. It is an increased trust and, and faith in the Lord. It is the purification of His church and, and His people. It is us growing in righteousness and character and it finally results in us finishing the race of the Christian life as we cross that finish line into heaven Amen. so that we continue, we continue to trust in the Lord our entire life. You see, salvation, justification is, is, is both a, happens at a moment in time when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior and then it, it continues all the way to our glorification if you do not finish the race if you walk away then you experience no salvation but Jesus tells us here he assures us he he promises us 
that those who are His, those who are true believers, will be sustained. They will experience glorification. All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. They will experience heaven one day. That includes persecutions, tribulations, trials, and difficulties. They all work together to get us to heaven. And those who understand and trust that all things work together for their good, who recognize their, their trials and, and tribulations are, are not the end, those who continue to trust in the Lord despite the persecution, those who don't capitulate to the culture receive the crown of life. Look at the second half of verse 10 on into 11. Be faithful unto death, Jesus says, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Jesus is not telling the church at Smyrna that they are, are not are going to get out of prison and everything is going to be okay. He's not telling them that they're just going to escape after a short time. He's not telling them everything is going to be okay. No, he's not telling them that. He's saying, look, some of you are going to die. And while it's true, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And by conquer, Jesus does not mean for the church to band together and to rise up against the Romans, to rise up against the Jews, and to physically conquer them. That is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about forming an armed militia or anything like that. By conquering, he means that you stand firm in the gospel message, that you continue to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, despite the tribulations, despite the persecution. And when you do that, you will defeat Satan and you will be with me in paradise. We do not capitulate to the culture and that's how we conquer. And as they continue to place their trust in Jesus, believing that He is, verse 8, the first and the last, who died and came to life. As we believe that, we are connected to Jesus through our belief in Him, and we will defeat death as well. We will receive the crown of life, eternal life in God's perfect, eternal kingdom. And the, that's the only way that we can avoid the second death, which refers to, which refers to eternal death in the lake of fire where God's wrath is, is poured out on you forever and ever, and there is no hope of escape. The only way to avoid the second death is to remain faithful to Jesus in this life despite tribulations, persecutions, and trials. Jesus says in Matthew 8, 35 to 38, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If we want to experience eternal life, if we want to wear the crown of life, we must not capitulate to the culture. Admittedly, this is not an easy message that Jesus is giving this church. It's not an easy message that Jesus gives our church. Jesus does not promise that life is going to be free of difficulties if you follow him 
Instead, it's the opposite. He doesn't promise our best life now, but our best life in the future. Instead, he tells us that we will face difficulties. We will face tribulations. We will, we will face trials. And he allows these things to happen. But for those who conquer, for those who don't capitulate, they will experience a resurrection from the dead. They will escape the second death and they will live with Jesus for all of eternity in his perfect kingdom. In church, we have hard times that may come upon us in our country in the near future as our country slides deeper and deeper into a post-Christian world. And as we do, we are called to conquer by not capitulating to the culture, but standing firm in our belief and trust in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. And so do you believe? Will you trust? Will you stand firm with Jesus today, conquering by not capitulating to the culture? If you're a Christian today, that's the application. That's the, that's the call to respond by standing firm. And if you're not a Christian today, the call of response is for you to run to Jesus and to see that Jesus is better than anything that this world can ever offer. Jesus tells us to count the cost, and this message is certainly a message that is calling us to count the cost. So if you're not a believer today, know that the only place that we can find true hope, the only place we can find true joy, True satisfaction, fulfillment, and ultimate salvation is in Jesus. And despite what it costs us, it is worth the cost. So if you're not a believer today, my call to you is to respond by believing in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. And He will give you what you need to stand firm despite the persecution, despite the tribulations that will come. And the same for the church, the same who are believers. God will give you what you need. Those whom he has called to himself will see glorification. Romans 8, 29 and 30 tells us that. There's nothing that will separate us from the love of God as Paul continues in that chapter. Absolutely nothing. Jesus' promise is true and it is sure. And we can trust in that despite persecution and tribulations that we might face. And so stand firm, church. Stand firm and turn to Jesus today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you. The difficult message that you give us. But Lord, we have hope in it. We have hope because you have come and you have died and you have resurrected, defeating death and Satan. And Lord, we have hope because you work in our lives to cause us to stand firm. And Lord, may we, may we turn to you. May we stand firm, trusting you, despite the tribulations that we might face. And those who don't know you, Lord, though this is a difficult message for them to hear, may you work in their hearts. Call them to yourself. Help them to see that you truly are the one who provides us with hope, the only hope, the resurrection and the life. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.